2: The Stanley Cup Final on
0: ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown.
1: at luckylandslots.com
2: available to players in the US excluding Washington and Michigan no purchase necessary bgw group void rope prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply yes! Oh, oh, oh yes
1: the offside rule we get it is brought to you by continental tires hello it's
0: episode 6 of the offside rule we get it brought to you by continental tires getting you to the game safely i'm joined by haley mcqueen yes we're here for the offside rule podcast we absolutely get it
2: we do. And Kate will say most of the time we get it. Yeah. yeah. As long as we're
0: feeling switched on and as long as we've uh, properly studied the rule book. <laughs> um, don't, don't be sarcastic on this. <laughs> there, there is nothing that's pointing to us going, sarcasm, sarcasm.
1: Uh, speaking of that, Kate, on that very subject and... Uh... I was hosting at SoccerX just this last week, and uh, we're hopefully going to be there next year, aren't we, girls, Mm. as well, with our podcast. We'll do one uh, live in one of the auditoriums in the very large kind of um, football convention that Mm. they're in, in front of all the very important people. And I was uh, introducing some very important people, talking about video technology, Refereeing 2.0, the Dutch FA, very behind this, and... um, yeah, it sort of didn't quite go to plan. So it was a presentation that I didn't have to do, but I was with Howard Webb and the CEO of Hawkeye as well, who was explaining how it works in, in rugby and very successfully in tennis, not so successfully sometimes in cricket. But they were making you know sure that everybody knew that this technology wasn't going to hold the game down and that it just had to be passed by FIFA. And then once it was passed by FIFA, we may start seeing it in the Premier League. Howard Webb thinks it's a good way off. Um, it was to promote... Video technology and how quick that you can show oh, things happening oh, I know. I I know during the presentation. The, none of the videos rolled; <laughs> they all stalled. It kept jumping. One of the videos wasn't even there, so it was a total disaster as oh far as God. presentations go. Yeah, yeah I'd
0: No, speaking of flashing signs, irony is pointing down right now yeah, towards Hayley McQueen. <laughs> uh, well, let's talk about perhaps getting it, not getting it, because topic two is quite key actually 4-4-2 four, four, we're going to talk a bit of formation because it's the death the knelling sound of the bell boom because four four two might not be any longer poor Jermaine Defoe as well you've got to feel for him haven't you because he he, he loves a strike partner mm. but everyone's just packing out midfields now it's all about the attacking midfielder mm. less and less about having strike partnerships so we're going to look back over time at successful four four two formations and just give a look Little bit of a reason as to why maybe we should not make it redundant altogether. I do understand that the Premier League has changed somewhat, but we can look back and reminisce. Also, I want you to complete this sentence. I may have been a footballer, but I made more money from dot, dot, dot. Um, I want you to fill in the gaps because there are so many footballers who've gone on and done some crazy side careers, been very successful at them. And you think that you might know them as footballers, but you'll probably remember them better as something else that could be the case. Um, You don't have to, by the way, Kate Borsau is getting very itchy earlier because she's like, I I don't know whether I can justify the figures here. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry. We'll just
2: take your word for it. (laughs) Thanks. I am the daughter of an accountant and sometimes <laughs> all those numbers get in the way. The need for accuracy and a balance sheet gets in the way.
0: <laughs> we'll let you off. You can. It's just a friendly podcast, Kate, OK? <laughs> uh, we're going to start, though, with a debut to remember. Martial and Matt Jarvis uh, scored on their debuts at the weekend. I'm sure there were more players that did that, but those were the ones that sprung to mind when I was setting these topics. So I want you to look back across all leagues. We can in- include WSL as well and non-league football foreign leagues whatever you like uh, give two examples when players have famously scored on their debuts I'm
1: going to start with Haley McQueen like we always do over to you well I've got a couple um, one who was a bit of a legend and had a great start but then a bit of an up and down career as far as injuries are concerned and wives as well he's had many uh, and another who actually lived next door with his wife to us um, and scored on his debut and I was there and Kate it was against Liverpool oh. It was the White Feather, the handsome, dashing stallion of Fabrizio Ravanelli, the Italian on his debut for Borough. Um, it was one of, well, he was a, one of string of big names to come to um, the riverside. Brian Robson made sure that the big names were drawn to the industrial proud town. So there we have it. He came and um, wasn't one of the most glamorous places in the country, but actually Ravinelli settled for a good few seasons and loved it. And he got off to a wonderful start and back to Trick against Liverpool on his debut. So talk about about that. More importantly, what was he like as a next-door neighbour? He was great. Once I came home from sixth form and I'd been locked out of my house, my parents had got out and forgot that I was coming back early from potentially um, one of my exams. Who knows? And uh, he was there with his little son, Luca, and he was just making lunch. And I'd knocked on the door and I said, oh, Fabrizio, because we live three houses very close together in a kind of remote village. I said, my mum sometimes leaves a key here. We've got keys to your house. Can I just have the key? He's like, oh, we don't have the key, but why don't you come in? My wife will make you lunch. So we had lunch. I was 17 years old. So I'd had had a few drinks, obviously, in the past, um, under the the safe watch of my parents. But he gave me a glass of red wine with a bowl of ice cream. Wine with a little bit of water in it, yeah. (laughs) That
2: sounds so dodgy. He gave you ice cream, a glass of wine, sweets by any
1: chance. And yeah, he was then proceeded to go around the dinner table on all fours with his little one on his back pretending to be a horse. (laughs) Purely innocent thoughts, purely innocent. His wife was lovely.
0: Who was the other side of you? I don't mean at this,
1: I mean, I mean housewife. Just a normal couple with three young boys. We actually had Paul Merson move in oh, after that, wow, and Gaza, it. and Gaza lived I next door, it. yeah. And then Alan Boxich, who never left the house, he was just like a hermit.
0: This is where we can highlight how we've had completely different <laughs> upbringings. We've got Haley McQueen, who's obviously got footballing neighbours, yeah. Kate Borsay in the countryside, yeah, M- Mr. and Mrs. Peaston and Bonington the Cat. <laughs> And I'd got Ivor and Gwen and Bob and Carol in Dudley. (laughs) Love
1: them. Love them to bits. Speaking of another foreign player, so that that was obviously a debut in the Premier League. Uh, Alexander Pato of AC Milan had a wonderful debut, but it took him a while, actually, because when he signed for Milan, um, FIFA football regulations regarding non-EU minors, he was only 17 when he joined, uh, said that he wasn't able to play in official matches until he was 18. So just after his 18th birthday, what better present could the team give him than to include him in the starting 11 and what better present could he give back than a goal it was a two-all draw against Napoli but massive rivalry between AC Milan and uh, Napoli he also set the other goal up as well and in fact he's known for doing great things on his debut because um, so when he signed for Milan he was pretty much an unproven 17-year-old 15 million pounds as well back in 2008 which was an awful lot of money he certainly lived up to his billing it was uh, another game where he made his international debut and broke a record in the 2006 Club World Cup so before he played for AC Milan and broke Pele's long-standing record as becoming the youngest ever player to score in a FIFA organised competition at 17 years old 102 days so there you go very good shall I move on to one of mine
2: I'll mention I was there Michael Owen he scored his debut goal for the Liverpool senior team in 1997. I can't believe how old I'm admitting to be by this story. But it was when Wimbledon were playing at Selhurst Park because their ground was um, being redone or something, I think. Anyway, uh, Owen came on for Patrick Berger. And I always remember, um, I was with my friend and he was like, oh, it's Michael Owen's debut. And I was j- really just getting into football in those days, having completely fallen in love with it in 1996. But yeah, 97, I saw quite a bit of Liverpool. Off went Patrick Berger. On came this young. And he looked so, I mean, he really did look like 14, didn't he? Still
1: he looks really young now, though, doesn't he, to be fair? Liverpool still lost that game, by the way.
2: That was when I think we were, must have been challenging United for the title and it all went wrong. It wasn't Owen's fault, but it was a sign of things to come, I hope. Um, Robbie Fowler... Just on a Liverpool tip here quickly, um, he made a great debut too, 1993 um, League Cup against Fulham. Um, scored in the first leg, Liverpool won that 3-1. Then in the return, I know this isn't his debut, but this is how to follow up a debut, he scored five goals. What? Yes, five goals for Liverpool in the return fixture.
0: What A hero. Um, I've got some more, but I'll hand over to you, Hoops. I've gone for braces. Um, Hayley McQueen started it off with a hat trick. I've gone for a couple of braces. Uh, Starting with Darren Bent, because Mm. he he actually scored on his debut more than once, but I'm picking the time when he scored back in 2005-2006, and it was that Premier League season that he joined Charlton Athletic. Uh, He scored two goals on that debut. That was in a game against Sunderland, by the way. But not only that... He scored in his first four games for the club. So he went on to score four in the next four games. He was the highest scoring Englishman in the Premier League that season with 18 goals. He he just was on fire that season. It was the time that everyone was screaming Darren Bent for England. He just fizzled off, didn't he, afterwards. But um, really, really good performances from him on his debuts. Uh, It doesn't quite rival Adebayor, but I thought we won't go down an Adebayor route.
2: You know who also scores on most of their debuts? Alan Shearer, back in the day um, when he signed uh, well in fact he was promoted up to Southampton's first team in 98 um, he justified that faith, a hat trick from him on his debut, you can't argue with that can you? Not only has he
0: scored on his debut for Southampton, he also did the same thing on his debuts for England and Blackburn. My other brace is Gemma Davison for Chelsea Ladies she joined Chelsea Ladies, rejoined up with Emma Hayes who she'd played with earlier on when she was at Arsenal when Emma Hayes was part of the- the, the coaching setup there. Emma Hayes as the Chelsea Ladies manager also took her over to the States and then brought her in at Chelsea Ladies this season. She scored a brace against Notts County in in her first game. So well done to her. Also had a, an England call up that we covered last week in the podcast. And um, and I'm going to just one we're mentioning Chelsea Ladies another player who scored on a debut, Fran Kirby. She scored Aww. as well. Oh, Ickle cool, Fran. We like Fran, don't we? If we go with
2: recent examples, we've got to look at Aguero. Oh, haven't we really? Sorry, I can't. I can't. Kate's best Martin Tyler. Then. <laughs> I can't say his name without going all Martin Tyler. Um, he didn't even get a full game. Mancini had him on the bench against Swansea, I think it was, and thought, you know what, I'll just give him a little half an hour run out. He's new to this Premier League lark. Let's just give him a little run round. (laughs) He only came on to score twice and then set up the next goal as City scored 4-0 against Swansea on that day. Um, And he said in his post-match, hopefully this is the start of something big. Yeah,
0: I'll say it probably is.
1: I'm Gary Neville, and you're listening to the Offside Rule. Next
0: up, as promised, it's the formation chat. Four four two—the death of four four two—it seems—in the Premier League. Uh, Jermaine Defoe has inspired this because I saw many people commenting on the fact that he likes a strike partner, and of course, he does. You look back over the years; he had much success with strike partners, so he's become a bit redundant, and I feel sorry for him. So, what I want us to do is justify why four four two should not. Retired forever. I understand that things have changed. The attacking midfielder is very valuable in a, a Premier League team, especially. But let's talk about success had with four four two
1: formations. Um, I'm going to start with Haley again. Well, there's the famous four four two of 1999. Four four two one nine nine nine. No, so Manchester United obviously won the treble, and they managed to do it with the four four two formation. I'm sure you two might have that as well as one of your suggestions in this topic. However, um, quite a few seasons later, Sir Alex Ferguson had actually said the orthodox four four two that he had employed to win the treble. Um, I think a couple of seasons before he was um, defeated by Real Madrid in the Champions League, um, said it just doesn't work anymore. I Sir Alex as well actually all. Says and he maintains um, that he's never played 4 4 2, has always used split forwards. So it was never quite the 4 4. Yeah. He always lined him up as a 4 4 2. Come on, yeah, Sir Alex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? But when um, Real Madrid uh, defeated uh, emphatically Manchester United on the home soil as well for United, 3-2. And they had their 4-2-3-1 formation just completely outrun and outplayed. United, he realised, just wasn't going to quite cut it. And the fact that, obviously, British teams doing so well in Europe and European teams, apart from one Spanish team, which I'm going to mention in a moment, not really bothering with 4-4-2 anymore, just doesn't work, does it? Doesn't cut it anymore
0: we think that we've seen the death of it recently but actually i think it's been the last decade that it's been fading yeah, out if you if you go back to the 2006 world cup i'm going to give you an example of a side that still managed to get very far and do well by playing it but most of the teams if you look they were playing a 4231 or something similar and it was germany who stuck with 442 in the 2006 world cup they got really far and they still had success with it but everybody else really had started to switch by then. That's why I'm mentioning that World Cup in particular before I hand over to Kate, who's itching to get started on this, by the way.
2: <laughs> That's my favourite thing ever.
0: Um, funnily enough, though, at the next World Cup in
2: 2010, of the 32 teams in it, 27 of them were employing that four-two-three-one, which is the formation that you mentioned um, that uh, Manchester United had been overrun by. Um, and it's just become well out, hasn't it? It's become well out to to basically <laughs> try and. I think I think most. I mean, Brendan Rodgers has talked about this because obviously you know his famous strike partnership, the SAS, the Suarez and Sturridge thing. You know, he he sort of said, no, well, I'm not really a four four two man. What I would like to do is this instead, and you know, a little bit like Fergie, you think, well at the front four largely in midfield, four largely in defence. That looks a little bit like a four-four-two to me, Brendan. But oh no, he's not really a four-four-two man. He likes to employ. Now you, you know, fair enough. You've got your diamonds and everything else, and all the other um, fancy formations that like to go on the manager's tactics board. Those magnets magnetised around the board as the manager starts flicking them around and messing around, and the poor players don't know what's going on, do they? Um, but interestingly enough, of course, it's been used to um, overturn Barcelona, Atletico being the most famous example of that one but Malaga tried it too and I think well and also Manchester City tried it but I think um, that what you've got to do in that situation is not use 4 2 to kind of use your two strikers to run up and score on the offensive against a team, you've got to use your four four two 2 to try and frustrate a team. So I think that where some people go wrong with a 4-4-2 is they try and use it as that attacking formation because of the strength of two up front. But actually,
0: perhaps what you should be doing in this arena nowadays is using your 4-4-2 to frustrate the opponent. I think you have to use it as a very high-pressing Offensive yeah. tactic. Uh, I think if you if you're going to use four four two, you have to press high, don't you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Roy Keane actually decided that he would take what he'd seen and learned and played in at Manchester United as far as a four four two is concerned, and stick with that whilst he was at Sunderland. Now, in his last ever game, when they were defeated, uh, well, his last ever game by Bolton four one, he admitted that the four four two formation had actually been a real part of the problem. He wanted to stick it out. He wanted to continue with it. Kenwyn Jones and Cisse, that forward pairing lots of power lots of pace terrified defences well it didn't really matter in the end uh, because Bolton who had five midfielders completely outnumbered them outplayed them and rendered them unable pretty much to work the ball into dangerous areas so he said it doesn't matter how strong and you know pacey his forward two were maybe just weren't quite intelligent enough but he said that this is the end of four I've tried it I've tried it with the best possible players that I can have this is at Sunderland by the way and it just didn't work and they were beaten by Bolton of all teams So what do you do in that situation?
0: You rely on the good old traditionalists to show that it can still work. So who do we turn to? We turn to Roy Hodgson and we turn to Fulham. 2010, got all the way to the Europa League final playing 4-4-2, religiously, all the way
1: through to Europa League final Surely that's proof, is it not, that it works? And Atletico Madrid, you mentioned Diego Simeone winning the league, of course, and they were on course for that Mm. double. They'd had a really great season in both cup and uh, league competition uh, with David Villa and Diego Costa up front, um, and it really did work. Their high-intensity pressing, the compactness allowed them to really play it in a very successful way. Mm. Follow us on Twitter at Pod and like our page on Facebook. Simply type in The Offside offside Rule We Get It. There's only one of us.
0: We're going to move on to topic number three. I may have been a footballer, but I made more money from something else. Um, You look at other successful careers and there's so many. I didn't realise until I started doing more research on this topic of how many footballers have got other pursuits. Yeah. Successful ones.
2: But again, I got a bit caught up in the detail oh, here. Oh,
0: gosh, what's and, going and
2: on? I was actually physically looking for someone with more earnings. So oh, to find someone, unless they're old, old school, to find someone like a current player, not current, but you know what I mean, within the last 15 years. Have retirement. you been on Company's House? No, but, 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 but just to find a player who's more lucrative in another career apart from football is quite difficult unless you go back... I mean, I even found, you know, I found um, a story about an old 76-year-old bloke player, I'm sure he was pretty. Sounds interesting. (laughs) Very good back in the day, but he won 5.5 million on the lotto. So even though all he'd done was fill out a lotto thing, he he was technically more richer after
0: his playing career than he was during it. I think the clue to this topic was (laughs) don't go for recent footballers because they earn an absolute fortune. (laughs) You just wanted to go back about 15, 20 years or so and then you're on to a good one. Um, Hayley's going to give us an example of exactly how you should have done this
1: topic, Kate. Not quite, but within, <laughs> within the last 10 years, um, lots and lots of footballers tend to get into property. It seems to be sort of a, a good way of doing it because they can afford to just go and buy up streets, do, them, mm. do the property up and sell them on. Um, as we know, Robbie Fowler is someone that's done that, but so has Ramon Vega. Ramon Vega of Tottenham Hotspur, the Swiss former centre-half. In 2006, he founded Matterhorn capital Rossalp. Sounds just like a little company that he ran himself when he went back to um, Switzerland. However, he's made millions from this. Um, One of his first ever projects was developing a luxury hotel and now he develops... Many luxury hotels. It was in Verbier, the ski resort. Mm. So ski resort to the rich and famous. And he had a members club which boasts wall-to-wall, gold leaf decor and schrosky crystal top cocktails which cost £4,300 4, a pop. That is right. So no wonder he's made more money from these hotels and clubs in Switzerland than he did in his football career when he's charging that for a glass of... Mojito. A lot of money in Switzerland, isn't there, Set Blatter? A lot of money.
2: Um, I'm going to go... Well, actually, I'm going to mention Robbie Fowler because we were having a chat about this earlier. He's got a property academy. You can go and learn how to be a property guru uh, from the guru, Robbie Fowler. Um, it's incredible, isn't it? And, and and he does own whole streets, doesn't he? He literally buy whole sort of tenement-type streets, really, in um, in Liverpool, but also in several other northern towns as well. Just the thought of sort of popping along is it is it actually Fowler who who teaches you does does he stand at the front of a seminar room and can you understand
1: what he's saying i mean well, Liam Gilmore, who's the fellow property investor, who I have no idea who he is. He's obviously not an ex-footballer, but he's, he's a great businessman. Well, he is the one that is the keynote speaker. So back in 2013, they went round to a lot of the academies at football clubs to oh, okay. give an introductory workshop. They they charged for a three-day session £997. But in these academies, not just within football academies, within football clubs, but the academies that they set up to try and teach young people how and where to to invest their money wisely when they come into money.
2: Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I'll give you a quick one because I did. I did understand the topic, and I did go for an ex-footballer. Um, I've read the book. In fact, it was written by a friend of mine. Lee who used to play for Portsmouth and Stoke, Reading, Sheffield, um, and England's youth team. Um, he was a footballer, retired, and went on to become a trader, and now teaches people how to trade on things like the currency markets, the oil markets, etc. Anyway, he's written a book. Well, my friend's written a book um, with him called "From Goals to Gold," and. Oh catchy title I know and I I have to say I'm not biased but for anyone listening go on you know you are who's interested in trading okay you can make a heap of money doing this he has he's got a great book on it I have to say he's got a really good book it teaches you all the ins
0: and outs of trading Um, yeah and has shown how he's gone on to become incredibly successful so you could have inferred the topic like I have you know I said it was about making more money um You could have done a play on words here because former Newcastle United striker Wyn Davis went on to become a nighttime baker. And he said, quote unquote, You can tell the fans I'm making lots of dough now.
1: (laughs) And his name is (laughs) Wynne Baker. What was it? Wyn Davis. Oh, Wynne Davis. What? Okay. (laughs) Anyway, that was just
0: a bit of light relief for us. this one, I'm going to have to do very quick because Kate will say, will tell me off. But Terry Venables, because he's not got more money <laughs> from this than he does from football. Um, however, he did go on to own a nightclub. Apparently a very successful one. Made him quite a bit of uh, dosh, along with being a managing director of QPR, a chairman at Tottenham. All related to football, but different roles than a footballer. I I suggest add those all together and you might get more money. Also, as well, he entered into um, the the world of writing. He was a co-creator of an ITV series, Hazel. Yes, he was. Yeah, I did know that. He also sang, didn't he, as well? He did, a bit of, he did a bit of singing as well. Uh, we spoke about Robbie Fowler and the fact that he had an absolute fortune in properties. Well, I'll raise you from Robbie Fowler to David Ginola because you know what Ginola has, which is worth a small, tidy sum? Hair.
1: <laughs> he does have hair insurance or a insurance.
0: a lot of shampoo he's a winemaker okay. of course being French yeah and you he
2: can't tell me he earns more money making wine than he does as a footballer is, is this really just a topic about what ex-footballers do after they retire because it's like a wolf dressed in sheep's clothing Lindsay Hooper mm-hmm. I know but I've I, I challenge you to look one of your all-time favourites. you love this topic. You love this topic and you've brought it back for the third time under a different guide. No, it's not the
0: third time. <laughs> I mean it's not a disguise, Kate. If I wanted to go down that route, I'd have told you about an ex-Fulam whale striker, Gordon oh. Davis. He went on to become a pest control expert. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If
1: I wanted you're to just say pest. you're a uh, blumming pest. pest.
0: What about what about the Danish guy that went on to become a fisherman, eh? <laughs> yeah, Ray Wilson, nineteen 1990- ninety. <laughs> <laughs> Ray Wilson, 1966 World Cup winner, went on to become an undertaker. Undertaker, you see? Yeah, yeah. See, I'd do that, wouldn't I? If I was trying to do it, I'd do those. Well, but I
2: gave you different examples. Well, well the good folks at home don't realise this is one of your favourite all-time topics, and you've even got a notes section on your mobile phone where you save up any little job that you find over the months that a footballers You Anything? Oh, I must save that one for the next time that I bring back that topic for the fifth time. But I'll just disguise it as something like I different. do love it. Did you know as well, Alan Comfort?
0: No,
2: <laughs> (laughs) Isn't that a
0: vicar? Comfort. What comforting people. There has to be a gag in there. Exactly. Exactly. I love it. I've got loads of them in my notes section on my phone. But I went with the the
1: lucrative ones. These aren't lucrative. I'll give her a chance. Mine is on topic, so absolutely. Mid-90s footballer Jamie Pollock, most known to me, of course, at Middlesbrough, but also actually played for Bolton, Crystal Palace, Birmingham and Manchester City as well. But Osasuna, I didn't know that. So he's well-travelled, cultured, and he actually, after football, um, is, is something of a kingpin. In the windows and glazing industry. He runs Polton Glass, Jamie Pollock, him and his um, business partner. It's a glass and energy efficient windows. No, he's made <laughs> Sorry, you millions. Wouldn't,
2: you wouldn't
1: call it Polton <laughs>
2: Glass. <laughs> not call it Pollock
1: Glazing. Would Pollock you? Glazing, no. Um, they employ 100 local people oh, and, on and take deliveries of 20 tonnes of glass a day, wow, turned into 750 windows a week. <laughs> If you took 20 tonnes of glass a day and made 750
2: windows a week, I would see that as a great mark of success.
1: But actually, do you know what? He's... um successfully secure planning permission to build a £750,000 football centre in the area which is very badly deprived. Obviously Middlesbrough a working class town uh, to help with sporting facilities as well. So really great value for the local community. He's using his own money to do this obviously potentially might then sell the land off to footballers to put properties on it in the future. But right now he runs the Poulton All-Stars Academy so that helps kids 7 to 15 prepare for and get into professional football and then he also helps academies um help young players when they've been let go by football clubs to rediscover the confidence and love for football and teach them the values of work and how maybe to enter into an industry which is something completely removed from the world of sports. So he's earned his stripes on the pitch, he's putting it back into football mm. and earning his millions through double glazing. Good on
0: him. I think Hayley McQueen wins this topic yeah, this is, week. By the way, I'm going to leave you. I've just been scrambling through oh, my notes. No, I found another brilliant one. Oh, God. Go on. Were, Sweden- they, were they? Did they earn more money? No. Oh. <laughs> well, I don't know because what money, what sum can you put on this? Oh, you t- I think this is a bit like MasterCard. It's priceless. Swedish international Thomas Brolin went on to make a record with Dr. Alban, starred in a jacuzzi advert and hit the headlines after his car collided with an elk.
2: We've, do, you, do you know what, Lindsay? We have done this one before. Many, <laughs> many years ago. I love it. Folks at home, if you scratch round in the early episodes of the podcast, about three and a half years ago, he gets a mention break. Does he? Yeah, no.
1: He are you does. sure? He does, he does. What about the award-winning Bishop's Guesthouse in York? Who's it run by? Marco Gabbiadini. Oh. That's right.
0: Very, uh, we're going to have to leave very, it there. Very accommodating <laughs> he is too. <laughs> Thank you very much, ladies. We'll be back with episode seven next week. Hope you've enjoyed this one. Go to com for a full list of new articles that have been uploaded over the last week or so. If you've not got up to speed with those, make sure you take half an hour out of your day
1: tomorrow. That's my little suggestion for you. My other suggestion was maybe come down and watch Dulwich Hamlet oh, playing football. We're oh, recording next there next night. Tuesday. We are.
2: We're going to be at Dulwich at Football Club next week for our sins. No, I, I, I think they're brilliant. Uh, we might cut this bit out, by the way, so we don't get hordes of
1: uh,
0: hordes. Well, of I, I want to see if another ten come through the gate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one.
1: Ticket sales soar on the back page of the East Dulwich Recorder. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> The offside rule, we get it. Is brought to you by Continental Tires. Sports Social Podcast Network
2: That's ChumbaCasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary. BGW proof. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18
2: plus.